Well, if it's possible to sing the Lord Jesus to come and get us and take us to heaven, I think this morning was as good an effort as any. Blessings to all of you for what uh, a glorious time of praise uh, this has been. And uh, thank you, Trevor, for being part of this as well. And uh, you'll want to visit him on the way out of the service this morning. I'm wondering, maybe the Lord just wants to wait until the, the praise tonight, and then he'll come back for us. And uh, so you'll want to be here. It'll be a house of joy, I assure you, in the uh, presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, who we love and love to, to praise and love to, to hold um, celebrations in his honor, like this morning. So uh, it's been good. It's been very good. Uh, let's let's uh, pray. Father, we, we uh, come before you now with uh, hearts of anticipation uh, from, uh, in light of what you want to say to us from your word this morning. We thank you. We love you. We praise you. We thank you for your love for us and what you've done for us, Lord. And um, we just pray now that uh, you would find in our lives a willingness to respond to you. Oh God, that's our desire. As, as uh, we look at this season that, of ministry that's set before us, we pray your blessing upon it. We ask, Lord, that you would bless us and help us. We pray, Father, that you would strengthen us and that we would rely and trust in you. And oh God, I pray this morning that you would grip our hearts uh, from the message from your very heart to us, that we would respond, that we would be responders to your love for us in, in, in Action, O oh God, I pray, for Jesus' sake, amen. Well, sometimes there can be a long period of time in our lives, a long stretch of, of time in our lives, uh, where nothing dramatic is really happening, just sort of coasting along. We can be coasting along in our, our marriage or in our job, perhaps, or coasting along in our, with our health or our relationships, and uh, we realize if as we think about it, that maybe we've lost our edge, our zeal, our passion. Fifteen years ago or so, I emotionally lived and died for the exploits of the Chatham Deluxe Maroons Junior B Hockey Club. But we've grown apart. <laughs> and so I no longer pay any attention to them. That can happen in our spiritual lives, if we're not careful. Would you turn in your Bibles this morning to Joshua chapter 23? There's a dramatic scene in God's Word where Joshua, the great statesman of the faith, is about to move off the scene. He's grown old and he's about to die. And there are um, some descriptive, some key descriptive words that set the tone for why he is urgently leaving this, uh, his last will and testament message to the people. And if, you're open, if your Bibles are open to Joshua 23, you'll see here that it says, After a long time had passed, and the Lord had given Israel rest from all her enemies. Now, most of us would say, well, that's a time of great blessing, and yes, it is, but it all, it's also a time of potential danger. And Joshua, as a great leader, knew that this long period of rest from the enemies and long time of peace 
has a potential tendency within the hearts of God's people to cause us to become complacent. To cause us to forget about the greatness of God or forget that we need God even. That can happen in our lives. And uh, we are about to embark upon a series here at Calvary um, whereby we are going to, to seek God's heart for pushing back against the culture that is at, in opposition to God. And um, it is possible that some of us have had long periods of time where there's been rest and peace in our lives and perhaps we haven't noticed insidiously that our spiritual lives have become somewhat passive. Well, I, I am encouraging us on the basis of Joshua's insight here and what I believe God has for us to think about the fact that um, it's possible that we have left our spiritual life somewhat unattended. And I think all of us know that anything left unattended doesn't have a good outcome. If you went away on holidays and left your yard unattended, you know what I'm talking about. And that applies to virtually everything. And so... Um, it might be worthwhile for us to consider, if we aren't thinking this is applicable to our own lives, to consider the, the broad church reality itself. For decades, I think you'll all agree with me that, that Christianity in this country has been able to coast along relatively unscathed, unchallenged. I think you'll also all agree with me that those days are over. And um, you all know that at one time the church was at the center of the cities. The church building at least. The place where people met. Symbolically, if not effectively, it had positioned itself at the very core of the culture. The values of God, I think you'll all agree with me, as we were growing up, most of us older people, as we were growing up, the values of God were central to cultural behavior for the most part. I think you'll all remember, or most of you will remember, that the Lord's Prayer started the day in virtually every marketplace. But today it's different. Today the culture has taken over the occupation of the center of the cities. Uh, today, uh, relative values determine cultural behavior. And sadly, prayer itself is not being exercised in many Christian homes. You say that can't possibly be true. Well, many of you know the uh, author George Barna, the uh, evangelical uh, statistician in uh, a report in 2006, and I presume it could be worse now, their group found that only 15%, listen to me, of deeply spiritual Christians, not just people who call themselves Christians, but people who identified themselves as deeply spiritual Christians, only 15% ranked their relationship with God as a top priority. That means 85% of us 
who call ourselves deeply spiritual Christians wouldn't rank God as a top priority of our lives. That's, to me, that was arresting. I read that this week and I thought, I, I have to find a place for that in the sermon. It's just too shocking to leave out there. In, in a Canadian study, now that, that's an American study for the most part. I presume Canadian statistics are always worse. In a Canadian study done just this year, six of seven of us don't read our Bibles weekly. If that's the case, then it would appear that only one in seven of us come to church once a week. Because that would qualify as reading your Bible at least once a week, wouldn't it? You got your Bibles here this morning? Open them up. You can be a statistic. You've read your Bible once a week. Six of seven are not. It would seem to me that Scripture, to many of us who are calling ourselves Christians over this span of of ease, relative ease, and comfort, and peace, and rest, have grown somewhat complacent and comfortable and dangerously distanced from God. Scripture, to many of us, is remarkable and wishful theory, but it doesn't inform and shape most of our Christian lifestyles. If we're not reading our Bibles, how could the Word of God be shaping our behavior? The Word of God may be affecting how we think, but statistically, it's not affecting how we live. I am giving myself in my own life to this issue. And intend to give my leadership to this issue. Thinking is not good enough. It has to transfer into our living. Now, for the past nine years, we have fleshed out five core essentials uh, here at Calvary, which are word, worship, witness, prayer, and growth, which we have agreed together that these are the core values that, that we value, these essentials. And over the past while, um, we've been studying as leaders and have been presenting out of the core values we agree upon, those essentials, within that framework, What are the essential values that should shape the culture of Calvary Baptist Church? In other words, the core values tell all of us what we think is important. But what we really need is this is who we are. This is what we think, but this is is who we really are out of who we think we are. And so for a while it's it's been previewed for you in your bulletin. There's a bulletin logo you can put up there that you've seen for a while. And it has uh, three words that are particularly critical for how we are to live or the culture of Calvary. To be people who worship, people who connect, and people who reach. That's grown out of some significant study of Scripture and uh, within the confines of our core value. This is 
really what we believe should be the way we live, the DNA of Calvary, the DNA of our lives. In fact, George Barna has coined a phrase that he's lifted out of the malaise of Christianity and is defining a new subculture called the revolutionary community. There are lots of people calling themselves Christians. As a statistician, he's obviously becoming very unnerved with what he's finding out. And so he's declaring there are lots of Christians who are, who are, are claiming that, that uh, they are Christians because of their certain, certain things they believe. There are other Christians who are saying that they're born again because they've received the Holy Spirit. And that's a, a very valid definition of Christianity. But what's shocking to him and to all of us, or should be shocking to us, is those are fine declarations, but if they're not being transferred into shaping how we live, then maybe we don't really have what we think we're saying we have. And so he's saying, emerging out of this Christian malaise of comfort and relative peace over a long time of rest that God has given us in the West... This revolutionary community that is rising up and saying, we will not only believe certain things, but we are committed to living these things. That we are committed to, to our behavior on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday being the same as it was on Sunday when we gathered and lifted up our hands and worshipped our great God together. This call this morning is a call to a revolutionary community. And the call comes from Joshua, that great statesman of the faith, as he gave his last message to his people, or at least the last recorded message. And I want to present to you this morning the timeless culture that Joshua is challenging the people of God for all time to embrace. It came from his day and is given to our day. Now, um, this scene, I can just imagine the old cretin himself, Joshua old and grizzled up like some character out of the Lord of the Rings, you know. You can just see him with his long, white, flowing hair and his, his cane that was uh, all crooked. And as he lifts his way up into some sort of big rock or platform and has a few of the young, robust guys help him up. And he stands before the people and, and he just points out to this great horde of people. It says in the text that, that all the leaders and all the people gathered before him. Now think about this. All of the people of Israel gathered in this great gathering to hear this, this old grizzled up man who had given his life, his energy, his passion to being faithful to God and, and overseeing the people of God that they might not stray to the left or to the right. And he's about to leave. And he's telling them something that's critically important. And and the key takeaway for, for this morning, if you hear nothing else, is this. He says to them, activate or you will stagnate. That's what he says to them. Out of the, all the points that he's making here, turn your faith into something that's active or you will stagnate and ultimately deteriorate. And that's the message to God's people in every era. You must activate your faith in what you believe or you will stagnate and drift away from God. So would you look at the text with me this morning? It's Joshua 23. 
He says there, after a long time had passed and the Lord had given Israel rest from all their enemies around them, Joshua, then, by then old and well advanced in years, summoned all Israel, their elders, leaders, judges, and officials, and said to them, I am old and well advanced in years. You yourselves have seen everything the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. It was the Lord your God who fought for you. Remember how I have allotted as an inheritance for your tribes all the land of the nations that remain. The nations I conquered between the Jordan and the great sea in the west. The Lord your God himself will drive them out of your way. He will push them out before you. And you will take possession of their land as the Lord your God promised you. Be very strong. Be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses without turning aside to the right or to the left. Do not associate with these nations that remain among you. Do not invoke the names of their gods or swear by them. You must not serve them or bow down to them. But you are to hold fast to the Lord, your God, as you have until now. The Lord has driven out before you great and powerful nations to this day. No one has been able to withstand you. One of you routes a thousand because the Lord your God fights for you just as he promised. So be very careful to love the Lord your God. But if you turn away and ally yourselves with the survivors of these nations that remain among you, and if you intermarry with them and associate with them, then you may be sure that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you. Instead, they will become snares and traps for you, whips on your backs and thorns in your eyes until you perish from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. This is the word of God. Activate, Joshua says, or you will stagnate and ultimately deteriorate. Now, I want to pick out three things from the text this morning that uh, I, I believe are, are uh, given here to us by Joshua that are key behavioral challenges. And the first is this. Verses 3 to 5, he is saying, rely on the strength of the Lord to enable you to take possession of all that is yours. Right? He says, We've, God has given us these nations. He, is, he will drive them out. He will continue to push them out. And you will take possession of all that is yours. He is calling them to activate reach. To reach out for all that God has for them. The old iron horse himself has taken to the platform and is telling them. And he says to them, each one of you, and there's an emphasis here. It's, it's emphatically put here. Each one of you, um, you yourselves have seen, each one of you have seen everything the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. You have seen what God has done for you. And there's this emphasis on the word you. It's you have seen it. And, and I, I exhort you this morning, my brothers and my sisters, if you haven't seen the work of God, then maybe you don't belong to God. Joshua says, you yourselves have seen the great things that God has done. And he, he calls them to this reminder that they might not forget the great vision of who God is. You've seen this, he says. You know who God is. You know what he's done for your lives. You know what he has already done to rout enemies out of your lives. Now activate your faith. The simple truth is that in our lives, in virtually all of our lives, the enemy still holds some ground. 
And we also know that in our neighborhoods, as we look to the left and to the right or across the street or behind us, that the enemy still holds many lives completely. And this call is to take possession of all that is yours. The earth is God's and the fullness thereof. Everything belongs to the Lord. And the Lord is calling us to reach, reach what is rightfully his, to reach out in our own lives in two ways. I think he's calling us to reach uh, into our own hearts, that a healthy heart set free from sinful hindrances. The the enemy that still resides, the the ground that the enemy still has in our hearts, God is calling on us to route it out of our lives, to trust in him, to rely on him, but absolutely to take responsibility ourselves to be activists, to activate our lives for the glory of God. Now, I will point you to an important uh, New Testament text that really gives us this challenge. It's Hebrews 12, verses 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. There is the responsibility that has been given to us by the Lord to take responsibility for our own lives and the sinfulness that we allow to reside there. And we are to reach for the possession of our hearts that God wants us to have. Do we understand, as Paul wrote in Romans 6, 7, that the payment of the cross itself has freed you from having to sin? You've seen what the Lord has done for you. He has taken you out of the slave market of sinfulness. You know that's true. But he wants to take you completely out of that slave market. He wants you to reach for the fullness that you are rightfully to have because of the payment that Jesus paid on the cross on your behalf. He fought for you at Calvary that he might have you and that he might have your whole heart. And and the text of Scripture consistently says to us, now throw off the encumbrances. Get rid of the things that are stealing your heart away from the living God. That you might activate your faith and reach for all that God has. Because a healthy heart is one that will also reach to the lost. As you reach, first of all, uh, to, to gain the full liberation of your own hearts that God has for you, God will work from the inside. God will work sovereignly. But you must work from the outside, cooperating with what God wants to do in your life. And when you do that, a healthy heart will be on mission to share how it is to be free. To be able to tell the people around us, this is what it means to be free. The reason that many of us are not passionate evangelists is because we really don't have a a today present testimony of the victorious work of Christ in our lives. And so we really don't have a passion to go and tell somebody what we really don't have or aren't experiencing in our own lives. Reach for what God has for you in your own heart and you will reach across the street and you'll reach beside your house and you'll reach behind your house. Activate. Trust in the strength of the Lord and take possession of all that is yours. Today we are not... Today the Lord is not giving giving land... But as the psalmist reminds us in Psalm 2.8, Jesus is receiving the nations as his inheritance. It's people 
who we are reaching. We are his ambassadors. Ambassadors of reconciliation. As if, Paul says, he were making his appeal through us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. And what's the promise that Jesus gives to us in all of this? Activate. I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. I will strengthen you. The power and presence of God. A sound heart cleared of the enemy's hold in our own hearts will move out and reach out to those who need to have their hearts liberated as well. So let me ask you a couple of questions. In what areas of defeat does God want you to reach for victory? That's a question you have to answer. This is not a passive event. This is a, a very active event. I'm telling you, fill in some blanks. What is it? You know, you know areas of de- defeat in your life that are not fully liberated by the, the, by the liberating power of Jesus Christ. What are they? What do you need to take, take uh, responsibility for? The second question that I would put before you, who does God want you to reach for victory that the enemy already has? Who are those people? List them. What does the Lord want to take away so you can reach or give you so you can reach out more? These questions have to be answered by us. There's a second um, thing I notice here in verses 6 through 8. Be very strong. Be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses without turning aside to the right or the left. Here's what Joshua knew. Joshua knew that Satan, and this goes for all of us, that Satan wants to turn our passion and our commitment and our resolve into mush, into squishy stagnation. Satan's agenda since the very beginning is if he couldn't hold on to all of you, he could at least assimilate you into the culture and cause you to be useless to God. And so Joshua stands before them and says, this is critical. I'm leaving. The strong man that God has given, first of all Moses and then me, God has put this strong man in your midst, but I'm going away and there's nobody coming after me. So you, all of you, he says, must hold on to each other that you might hold each other to the faith of the Lord. That's what he's calling them to. To help each other to hold fast to the Lord. Isn't that what he says? Be very strong. Be careful to obey. Hold fast to the Lord. Activate, in other words, connect. Connecting with one another. This is going to be the responsibility no longer of the spiritual strong man by his autocratic leadership style commissioned by Moses who kept faith alive in the community but now this is going to be the responsibility of the community itself to hold on to each other and to hold each other to the things of God. How, he says here, to hold fast. To hold fast. That, the, that word, the picture of that word is... The tightest hug you know of. You know when you, um, when you haven't seen somebody for a long time and you love them to death and they just come running to each other and you just like grab hold of them and you just squeeze as hard as you can. That's this hold fast. It's, it's such a tight hug that there's no room for anything to get in between. That's what this picture is. You know, when you squeeze, your, squeeze a little Bronwyn and give her a big hug. and There's no room for any suitor out there to try and steal her away. You know what I'm saying? It's like, 
You dads, you know what we're talking about. This is my girl. You, you squeeze so hard. There's just, no, there's just nothing left. That's what this hold fast word is. He says, I, I, you have to encourage each other to squeeze God so tight that there's not room for anything else to get in between. And you have to do that together. You have to do that in community. You have to hold each other to this. He gives a few examples here, and I'm going to run down them quickly, how you hold fast so tight that that nothing can edge in. He's talking here about compromise. Don't go to the left. Don't turn to the left or right. He says, be very strong. Be very strong when confronted with compromise. In, in verse 7, it says, do not associate with these nations. Do not invoke the names of their gods or swear by them. Don't allow any, any of your interactions in the marketplace to, to, um, to uh, give credence to any of their incorrect beliefs or incorrect ways of living. You know, we, we don't often think about many of the things we do as we interact with the culture, but we need to be thinking about the very simple things like this, uh, of invoking the names of their gods, and we say, wait a second, most of them don't have any gods. Wait, they, yes, they do. They come before you. They all have gods. They'll say, hey, good luck. And as a Christian, you have a microsecond decision on your hands. Am I going to take the easy way out of this moment and give life to their idea that life happens by luck? Or am I going to take that moment and not agree to ascribe to the name of their God by saying, luck has nothing to do with my life? Not to be a annoying or abrasive or anything like that, but to take a moment to say, I'm not invoking the name of your God. I serve a God who's sovereign and purposeful and nothing lucky happens in my life. This is the whole tight compromise stuff. These are the microsecond decisions that we have to make in the marketplace about whether or not we're going to embrace the culture or whether or not God's going to strengthen us to push against the culture, to swim against the current of the culture. He talks here about navigating the fog of subjective tolerance By the instrument panel of God's word. Stick to God's word, Joshua says. The culture wants us to compromise our passion for what's right and for what's wrong. That's what tolerance really means. I'm talking about being intolerant of people. I'm talking about being intolerant of ideals. Of pretenses. Of strongholds that set themselves up against the knowledge of God. That's what we're talking about here. To fly by the instrument panel of God's word so we're not swept into the standards and values of the world around us. He talks here about their idols. Don't invoke the names. Don't swear by their gods. Don't associate with them. To hold on to God amid the countless idolatrous options that you have every day in your life. Say, I don't... What are you talking about? I'm not serving any idols. I don't bow down to any idols. Ah, wait... Why is it that we don't have the roster of service filled here in the church? Why is that? 
Why do we not have enough people stepping forward to serve in the areas of responsibility here? What's on the other side of your excuse to not hold fast to God in the matters of serving Him? I would love to have time to help or serve out, but what's on the other side of that? What is the blank? I would love to serve. I would love to take the time to serve, but... I I would love to be more generous with investing in the things of God, but... What's on the other side of that? What's on the other side of seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, of of God being a priority? Obviously, 85% of us don't count God a priority in our lives. That's, That's an unthinkable number. I would love to get into a discipling community, but... Revolutionary people make radical decisions to activate spiritual fire in their lives, whatever it takes. Abraham, Moses, Joshua, the prophets, the apostles, the disciples, and and the historic people of God, the leaders of God down through church history. What was the distinction? What was the difference? They found ways to activate spiritual fire in their lives. They made radical decisions to be revolutionary people for the things of God. The pull of cultural pragmatism is fatal to your faith. And Joshua knew that. Don't turn to the left. Don't turn to the right. Stick to God's word. Find yourself a Joshua club. Find yourself a Moses group. Find yourself a Paul party. We are a gift exchange people. Do we understand that? That's how we grow. That's what church is all about. We're a gift exchange You want to understand the basic elements, the core values, the the core reality, the core management of church? It's all about this. It's predicated on this. It rises and falls on this. We're a gift exchange community. Ephesians chapter 4. We grow, the body of Christ grows on the basis of people exercising their gifts one with the other. So how are you exercising your gift? That God gave you? How are you, how is the, the gifts of p- God's people being used in your life to strengthen you? And how are you using the gifts that God has given you to strengthen God's people? We are a gift exchange operation. That's what we are. We connect with each other in community to exchange gifts that God has given us so that the body of Christ will grow up in maturity, in the faith, serving Him. I wrote this down. Christianity is a complex system of communities of people tightly connected into a functioning body totally dependent on Christ, the head, and each other. That, to me, is the definition of Christianity. So what are you doing to connect yourself to the heat of God's fire? Who is helping you grow? What are you personally committing to the Calvary Gift Exchange? I was reading of Gateway Church in the suburbs of Dallas. Don't, don't despair. Don't fear. I realize where the clock is. I was reading of uh, Gateway Church in the suburbs of Dallas, founded in the year 2000 with 180 people. Any guesses the number of people in that church today? This Sunday, right now? Throw out a number. How many? 2,000. Oh, ye of little faith. 
Huh? 25,000? Did I hear 25,000? 24,000 people. Way to go, Joel. Hey, listen. You don't get 24,000 people in 14 years by being stagnant. By just sitting in church listening to theological theory. It's about a passionate, active people who are reaching lost people. That's what Joshua is talking about here. Mobilizing the people of God to reach the lost for Christ. Finally, God, he says here in verses 9 through 13, Love God. Love the Lord your God. God is the prize, so be careful to love the Lord your God. The prize is not gifts. The prize is not blessings. The prize is not talents. The prize is not position. The prize is God. So activate worship in your lives. Making certain that every action, every choice you make in life, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, is to the glory of God. All of our lives are are worship. The end purpose for how and why I do what I do is to just to worship God. God is the point. God is the prize. When you love someone, you put them before yourself. It's not, worship is not just about music. Worship is a lifestyle. Worship is bowing down and serving and praising and living for God. Above all things, he is the prize. He is the end game. And this is what Joshua is calling them to. The Lord has driven out before you great and powerful nations. Hasn't God done wonderful things for you, he says? Hasn't he done enough for you? One of you writes a thousand because the Lord your God fights for you just as he promised. So why wouldn't you love him? Why would you turn away from him? Why would you go to the culture? And why would you marry yourself into the culture? What makes something worship is its sacrifice of self, Paul wrote to the Romans in Romans 12.1. And who it serves is who it worships. Being just where worship happens doesn't mean you've worshipped. You just may be building a platform to your own significance. But listen, when you worship, if you worship, if you really worship, here's what happens. That action transports you to the foot of the throne of God himself. Pastor Steve was quite correct when he reminded us this morning that God inhabits their praise. It really states in that text, in Psalm 22, verse 3, that in fact, God is enthroned in our praise. So you may be saying, you know what, I'm not really feeling it. I'm not really feeling God. I'm telling you this. If and when you really worship him, at that moment, you are pulled to the foot of the, uh, foot of the throne of God because he is being enthroned in the praise of his people. And when you are at the foot of the throne of God, you have drawn near to him. And when you've drawn near to him, he's drawn near to you. You've been pulled fast to hold fast to God. That's the activate picture of worship and Joshua says come on come on hasn't God been good to you is there anything out there that you'd rather have than God come on 
Don't, don't turn from him. Why would you love God? Because he's made you invincible. Do you understand that? He's made you invincible. One of you writes a thousand. He gives you victory. He makes you invincible. Listen, whether we live or we die, we live. <laughs> We're invincible. There's nothing that anybody can do to us. No, I drop dead at this second, I win. I mean, who, who in all of the world, other than us, can say that? I drop dead right now, I win. Who can say that? Hasn't God been great to us? He's made us invincible. And so we activate worship. Listen, I'm going to close it with this. Your usefulness comes from your uniqueness as wholly devoted to God. Disloyalty will jeopardize your usefulness and lead you to disaster every time. I'm going to give you a final picture and then we're closing. Pastor Steve and the team can come up. Are you worshiping Christ? Here's the final picture. I want you to picture Jesus on one side of the street. I want to picture you in the middle of the street, and I want to pick you to picture things, and you, you can put that graphic up there. Picture things and others and people all over on the other side. And what I want you to answer is this. As I'm living every day, as I'm making choices, as I'm active in my life, are the things and the others and the actions. That shouldn't be activate down there, actually, that word. I missed that. It should be just other things, things, others, different activities. Are those things pulling me away from Jesus so that I am moving on the road further and further away from his side? Or is, am I living in such a way that I'm moving towards Jesus? That's how I know whether or not I'm living a life of worship. Whether I'm worshiping idols or I'm worshiping Jesus. Reach, connect, worship. That's what Joshua called his people to. That's the culture, the DNA that we're calling you to. Our Father, I pray that you would bless your word to our hearts and our lives for Jesus' sake, I pray. Amen our work with each other. He's calling us to be a kind of people who will not only uh, love him and connect, but also with healthy hearts to reach out beyond ourselves. The opportunities in this city and in this region are opening up in ways that are different than ever before that I can certainly remember. So that set before us, he's calling us to this. He's calling us to activate, to be people of action, not stagnate, or will deteriorate. So let's be people who activate in this coming term and moving forward for God. Shall we, Father? We praise you. We thank you. We desire in our hearts to be worship, connect, reach people for your glory's sake. In Jesus' name, amen.